Hi, I'm Kelly Johnstone, and this is SEO in 2023 Additional Insights. Kelly, what's your additional insight for SEO in 2023? My additional insight is that trust is just the most important thing that any SEOer can do and can learn more about uh, to be able to improve their conversions, improve their traffic, and just reshift your thinking on what you think trust is. Okay, and I was going to ask you what tr- you meant by trust, because I guess there's many different definitions of trust. Uh, it could be trust of links or on-page perceived trust by users, perhaps trust as part of, a part of um, EAT. Um, so so w- what do you mean by trust in, in this scenario? So trust in this scenario would be uh, on-page trust. So when we are trying to improve our EAT score, and actually trust is central to Google's EAT score, but actually without trust, nothing else really matters. And I think the biggest problem there is that a lot of SEOs see trust as a tick boxing exercise, you know, adding on reviews, adding on uh, secure symbols and go, yep, I've done those things. So that means that I have increased the trust on my site rather than actually thinking what trust is. And trust is a biological process. Trust is emotional. And if you're not using emotional content to kind of back that up and to really make people feel comfortable with your site and to whatever you're trying to do to help increase their trust, it's just not going to work because you have to be able to let people make an informed decision that they're going to increase their trust with you rather than telling someone that that they should buy something from you. So trust is emotional. How do you measure emotional? Uh, So measuring emotional, because trust is one of those those kind of funny bits because it is emotional there's two layers to it and it kind of does translate very matter-of-factly to to sites as to how someone interacts with you so if someone goes on your site and they don't see something that they like their distrust immediately comes back and distrust makes you kind of physically move away from things and on your websites that's someone that bounces off so if someone's highly bouncing from your site they've got a high distrust from you so they're not finding what they're looking for and they're actively going away because if someone's feeling trust with you, that can directly be measured in an increase in traffic, in an increase in engagement on your page, and an increase in conversion rate. Because there's a direct correlation between someone feeling trust towards you to then go and perform another action. I like your use of distrust because I don't think many SEOs immediately associate distrust as being the opposite of trust, although it's, it's obvious that that's the case. Um, because... Uh, If someone leaves your website and they haven't found what they're looking for or they're not comfortable with what you offer. So does this bring back uh, the good old bounce rate as being a key measurement here? Oh, that's a good question. I think in this context, it it can do. There's lots of things that you can measure as distrust because it is that, you know, that step back and that hesitation. So it might even be, you know, if you have uh, software on your site where you can measure how people are interacting with your site it might be where people are hovering over buttons and they're not quite sure kind of in its worst form it's people that aren't buying so they might even go into your quote journey as to whatever you're selling and then bounce away from there because they find out the price of it and then then they feel distrust so it isn't a direct if you do all of these things someone is definitely going to feel trust with you because each person's level of trust will be different otherwise we'd all buy the same things and we'd all be uh, very similar so we all have our own trigger points for what deems something to be trustworthy for us versus 
things that are going to immediately cause us to feel distrust. And a lot of that is kind of working out the ecosystem of where you sit against your competitors. So if you're writing your messaging and not looking at what your competitors are doing, then actually when people go and hop between different sites to do their price comparisons, then they'll go, oh, hang on a minute, they're saying this. And then that automatically makes them distrust you. And you've not done anything differently there or you've not you know, done anything bad. But, you know, that ecosystem impacts someone's trust. What would be an example of something on someone else's website that makes the user distrust you? Um, it could be that they have more reviews. If we're thinking of well, a classic example of Amazon, when you're scrolling through looking for something, if you've got something that has had five reviews and five stars versus something that's had 10,000 reviews and four and a half stars, you're most likely, even if the, the price is the same there, you're going to go for the one that has more reviews because you'll go, oh, hang on it, that's a bit of a safer bet. Whereas that second version, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. It could be exactly the same product. But those external trust markers means that you're going to go for the one that you feel safer in making that that decision for. So it could be other messaging as well. So not just, you know, things like reviews. It could be different service levels that are offered that, you know, one business offers something that another doesn't. And because you're not talking about that, even though, though you might actually sell it, then it means you're going to go for the other option because that sounds more appealing to you. But talking about reviews, is there an ideal number of reviews where psychologically it doesn't really matter anymore? So, I don't know, 20 plus reviews, 100 plus reviews, even if you're comparing it with another website that has 10,000 reviews, as you say, um, as long as the reviews are thorough and a decent star rating, then the actual quantity of reviews doesn't really matter anymore. I suppose it depends on, on the context of what the reviews are like in your industry and what software people use. So if everyone uses Trustpilot and you're using like Review.io, then, you know, you're, you're not playing in the same camp as anyone else. So it's quite difficult to compare. So I think a lot of people look for authentic reviews as well. So depending on what, what you sell, a lot of people won't trust all five star reviews. So if you had 10,000 five star reviews and you, know, you scored five out of five, that starts to be a little bit dodgy because we know that not everyone is satisfied. I work in the insurance industry. So we, we get a lot of four-star reviews because people say, well, I haven't used it yet, even though, you know, they, they've bought the product. So it's, you know, common problems like that, that I think people expect that you aren't ever going to get a five-star product because things have, you know, different people will have problems with it as they go along. So I think there's something in the, the volume and in the star rating and in kind of that sweet spot between four and, and five that's kind of the best thing to to look for. Uh, I mean, one of my businesses has over 300,000 uh, reviews now, so we're, we're still building them up. But they, you know, they work for us. And for us, that shows it's a method of feedback, not just a message that we can use to help drive more custom. It's actually a way of us being able to make sure that we're continuing to update our product. So it's worth thinking that reviews aren't just a a way of uh, bulking up and making sure that you get more customers. It's it's more about making sure that you can make continual improvements and know what your customers love as well. They're an absolute minefield for working out the level of trust and what people really like to help drive your messaging. So if all of your competitors focus on and tend to use Trustpilot as their review platform of, of choice, is it a mistake to focus on another platform instead? 
I would think so, yeah, because if that's where everyone else is, then focusing on another platform will mean that you're not playing in the same area as everyone else. And if that's where people are going to look for their reviews, then if they're looking at their competitors, you're then not in that same landscape. So if they're going on to review sites to, as part of their buying journey to see what people are thinking, you're just not going to show up there. So it's like not being on Google, really. Understood. Okay. And what about video recordings? Because obviously you can use software to record what your users are doing. You mentioned earlier on um, that um, subtle signs of a user not necessarily trusting you could be hovering over a button and perhaps you know that, that, that video recording could be a good opportunity to capture that. So do you favour those uh, types of um, recordings and data points? Yeah, they're, they're really good. I mean, I think there's some kind of study where you can have about eight people and you can learn like 50% of your problem areas on your site just from using eight people as actual people and seeing how they're actually interacting. Uh, I think that's an absolute pivotal point in being able to work out what those problem areas on your site are with uh, kind of your UX teams, uh, as well as uh, software like Content Square um, and Hotjar. All of those that can help you really dig into what people are doing on your site that just go above and beyond the level you can get out of Google Analytics. And talking about data points, that stat, just eight people could actually represent 50% of your audience is incredible. But I guess it's uh, selecting the right eight people. So how do you select the right people to represent your audience? That would be uh, basically going down to things like demographics, looking at who's actually buying your product and making sure that they're representative. So it might be people that are in market for whatever products you're selling and making sure that you're asking them. Using companies that are hands down have do this every single day as well because then you're not getting any bias in when they're doing the interviews with them. Making sure that you're looking across platforms as well, not just on desktop as you know, there aren't many sites now that don't have at least like 60% mobile. Uh, then that's really important to make sure that you're asking those questions that they go down, making sure that they're potential customers that that you're looking at, uh, as well as looking at people that might not have ever heard of you before. So then they haven't experienced what your site journey looks like. And can you actually measurably, measurably tie back the improvements that you make uh, to your on-site experience and therefore trust to the bottom line of what you're trying to achieve? Yeah. I mean, if we're using things like optimizely tests for wording around buttons or wording on the page or design elements, uh, you can A-B test uh, those landings to make sure that it is going to help with whatever you want it to do, whether or not that's click to quote, whether that's conversion. It's, uh, yeah, it's fairly easy to, to measure the impact there of minor changes. And what about measuring it back to a traditional... SEO metric in terms of success? I mean, can you tie it back to traffic improvements or uh, ranking improvements for certain keywords, the fact that users are staying longer on your site and more satisfied with the experience? Yeah, I think that goes back to uh, understanding user intent uh, and making sure that any decision you're making is, is customer first there. So if you are making those decisions that are going to increase trust because you're thinking about what's driving their decisions, you're thinking about their pain points, that's going to automatically increase the the quality of your page and also the intent of your page. So obviously SEO is one way that you can find those questions and you can find that intent and match it to 
what someone's actually looking for. So being able to really narrow that down can yeah, then help to improve traffic. Uh, and yeah, you can measure that. It's obviously a lot easier, a, a lot harder to A-B test for, from an SEO point of view because you'd have to do it on a much wider scale with a lot of different pages. But yeah, we found that, that when you shift your perception of trust and start to really build that on, on pages, uh, make sure that the decisions you're making are for them to help them feel more informed, then yeah, that increases your SEO, but then also increases your conversion at the same time. So it's win-win. Brilliant. Okay. And throughout 2023, AI has been a hot topic. Can we use AI in any way to automate the trust improvement on your website? It depends. Classic SEO answer there. Uh, so I, I love AI. We use Jasper uh, in our team, which we've recently onboarded. And that's because it helps increase our efficiencies. But actually, AI is only a writing tool and it will only ever be a writing tool in terms of increasing trust because trust is emotional you have to be able to, to understand the pain point so there's always going to need a person there that's filtering it in to make sure that it's answering those right questions i think ai on its own is never going to do that because it's never going to fully understand your customer base and their problems and it's never going to be able to brief itself as well as, you know, as, as do some of the legwork around the writing. So I think AI can be helped, can be used to, for increasing efficiencies, but it can't do the majority of the legwork. And, you know, a lot of SEO is, is quite manual. Uh, so it can, if there's only so far, I think it can go uh, in helping us, but I think it's, it's, here to, it's here to stay. So I think people that aren't using it might start to kind of lose out or be less efficient than others that are starting to embrace it. You've shared what SEOs should be doing in 2023. Now let's talk about what SEOs shouldn't be doing. So what's something that's seductive in terms of time, but ultimately counterproductive? What's something that SEOs shouldn't be doing in 2023? Linkbait that uses things like five top tips because they are never actually helpful. So any form of content that's being created that isn't useful for users, that is just designed purely to get links or to exist, it's just not good enough anymore. It needs to make sure that any content that's being produced is useful for an end user. That's my tip. Absolutely. And talking about being useful for the end user, you can see in People Also Asked, in Ask the Public, in AlsoAsked.com, People don't naturally speak like that. They don't naturally ask questions like that. What are five top tips on this subject? You know, I've yeah. never seen, yeah. I only want five. <laughs> questions phrased like that, exactly. So answer what people are looking for, I guess, would be what you advise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ellie Johnson is head of content at StaySure Group, and you can find her over at staysure.co.uk. Kelly, thanks so much for adding your additional insight to SEO in 2023. Thank you. I've been your host, David Bain, and you've been listening to SEO in 2023 Additional Insights, a majestic series that complements the original SEO in 2023 podcast, video series, and book. Find out more over at seoin2023.com.